unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, ladies and gentlemen, we are covering a bumper episode, not one movie, two movies, Kill Bills 1 and 2, and to handle two movies, we're going to need some support, George, aren't we? Yeah, we're not going to be able to do it alone. Yeah, we need a third hand, if you will. So joining us is our good friend, Andy Hughes. Andy, how are you doing? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Nice good. to have you back. When was the last time Andy was with us? I think it was for Highlander. Uh, it certainly was. Weren't you not also with us for The Untouchables? I was indeed, yeah. <laughs> this is my first non-Connery uh, episode. Okay, so, so we... Uncharted territory. <laughs> certainly is, George. We, we, we d- definitely see a pattern, but uh, we're all fans of Tarantino, and just as much as you love... Connery, you also are a big lover of Tarantino as well. I would say I'm a bigger lover of Tarantino than I am of Connery. I know it's a big shout. Hi. Well, I'm okay. sorry we're going to have to ask you to leave <laughs> the podcast. end the podcast right now. Yeah. No, but um, Tarantino is my filmmaking messiah. Okay. Wow. Wow. Keeping to the Connery tone, we are coming at you live from Edinburgh. Uh, the three of us are together. George and I don't always have the opportunity to get together. We do a lot of episodes remotely, especially since COVID and, and the like. But all three of us are in the same room, so apologies for the giggling or if it appears that we're saying things off mic. So, George, 2003, Quentin Tarantino's Magna Carta, it would seem a two-film massive deal. A big film. Yes. So, yeah, 20 years of Kill Bill. So we're going to, we're treating it as we're, we're, we're doing both volumes. Uh, obviously, part one or volume one, I should say, came out 2003. But we thought, obviously, if you're going to do one, you may as well do the other. And if we're doing Tarantino, we'd have to get Husey on the podcast. Exactly. Exactly. So let's get into it. I think we'll probably start off with some first memories, uh, what we all what can we remember from 20 years ago? Not and very much, I'll be honest. Not much. We'll, we'll probably piece the past together. And I think we'll then get some insight from George on what went into the production of this film. And then we'll just pull out our samurai swords and get slashing with what mm. we think of one and two and the like. Maybe some coulda, woulda, shoulda. Uh, let's wait and see. So, uh, are we ready to hit the trailer, George? Yeah, just the usual uh, housekeeping before we, we jump into the trailer. So, um, Retro Ramble is a light-hearted look back at the films of Charlie and I's youth. We're going to be going into these films in detail, so there will be spoilers from the very off. I say it's light-hearted, there will be some jokes, there may be some bad impressions, uh, but it all comes from a good place. So yeah, just you might learn something. Uh, so yeah, enjoy the show. Okay, without further ado, let's get cracking with the knackin'. Creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. 
And we all worked for this man, Bill. Then one day, I decided to leave, settle down, and start a new life. But when I tried to get out, they did me in. Don't you ever wake up. I guess they should have tried a little harder. So I suppose it's a little late for an apology, huh? You suppose correctly. Now it's kill or be killed. You have every right to want to get even. Get even? Even, Stephen? I would have to kill you. That'd be about square. And I choose kill. Mommy, I'm home. Hey, baby. How was school? One ticket to Tokyo, please. One way. That woman deserves her revenge. No kidding, I heard it was kind of hard. Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. Yeah. Any more subordinates for me to kill? Hi. Hmm. So George, Kill Bill's one and two came out at a very interesting time for uh, movies. We we'd grown up with uh, Tarantino. We we witnessed him coming onto the scene. We we'd had Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and the like, and this was very much him in his stride. So I think a good place to start is first memories and i think we've got to pass this over to our guest andy uh for those of you who haven't listened before andy has been on previous podcasts but andy works in the media business today um he's made his own documentaries and recently has even had a go at acting is that not right andrew I mean, acting is a push, I would say, but yeah. um, I was in the recent series of Top Boy, um, Blink and You'll Miss It, but I'm in there, I'm in there. George and I have put our hats in the table to be his agent, and I am currently updating his Wikipedia and IMDb pages. Join the queue. Join you, the queue. You, you did have dialogue, you weren't just a background artist. No, no, I did, I did. It, it, it kind of came about because the producer saw one of my documentaries, which was about gangs in London. And um, yeah, they, they asked me in to um, have a chat with the director. And then when I was there, he asked me if I wanted to do a screen test. And it's as easy as that. Ladies and and um, the rest is history. Well, as you can see, not only is George is not the only film buff in the room. Uh, not only have we always been fans of these films, but because we go way back, Andy has watched a lot of these films with us over the years. And that's why it's great to have him on, especially when it's with a director like Tarantino um, that, like us, he has a lot of love for. So, Andy, I have to ask you, what is your sort of first memories what do you remember about when this film came out these films came out what is what do you remember about that well it, it's it's if you look back at tarantino you obviously you got reservoir dogs and pulp fiction i was just obviously i think we all were just young teenagers then 
And then came Jackie Brown, and I was a huge fan of Jackie Brown, but Jackie Brown didn't really get the same reception as his first two. Yeah, it was a bit of a... It's almost like... Reservoir Dogs went a little bit under the radar because I think it was banned in a lot of places yeah. initially. That kind of built the... Indeed. Uh, and it became notorious, and, so you wanted to see it. And But almost in a way, Jackie Brown was almost like, even though it was a, his third film, it was the difficult second, second album because there was so much hype off the back of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, like when I go back over all of Tarantino's films, Jackie Brown is one of my favourites, without a doubt. And Tarantino himself says it's one of his favourites. And I think he basically made that for himself. He just wanted to, uh, as you know, he, he likes um, entering into new new ventures. And one of one of the things with Jackie Brown is he just wanted to adapt a novel. Well, interestingly, that's that's why it stands out. I think it's the only one where, of Quentin's films where it's an ad- adaptation. Yeah, it's just not come straight yeah. from his brain onto the page, yeah. Um, so when Kill Bill was announced, it was like six years after Jackie It was Brown. quite a hiatus. Yeah. yeah. And the thing, one of the reasons it took so long was because, you know, he, he I think he started writing in Glorious Bastards first and then he, he couldn't quite find an ending so he he thought he'd, he'd try something new so he went to Kill Bill anyway the hype was big and the thing is this movie was released in my third year of uni and sticking on the Tarantino theme um, I think my life was somewhat similar to Brad Pitt and True Romance so <laughs> so to say my memory is a little hazy I mean that in a literal sense but um, yeah it was it just it just really burst onto the uh onto the scene and it was just incredible to see this movie and i remember going to go into the cinema with with the boys from uni and it was not what i was expecting at all in terms of i mean the the action was just phenomenal something that tarantino had never really done before um and yeah, the year after with, with, with the second movie, which, again, was kind of completely different than the first um, in terms of, like, I, I always saw the first movie as, like, a kung fu movie and the second movie as a western. Um, so, yeah, it was just, um, it was, for me, it was like announcing Tarantino on another level. We're all going to be saying similar things, but, George, what was it like for you in terms of first memories? Well, yeah, very similar to to Husey. So obviously uh, I was at uni as well. And yeah, I just remember it was, there seemed to be maybe because it was of, of the hiatus and, but also when you're at uni, you're, you're consuming everything and, you know, the big cinema releases gets everyone excited. But I remember there was a real buzz about this and we all went through it at uni. And I, I just remember like playing the soundtrack on repeat. Yeah, like, we, yeah. We, we, we hammered that soundtrack. And then obviously, you know, this is pre-Spotify days where you were just like had the same CD on repeat. Yeah. You would just have that on in the background. And yeah, so we just, we just hammered, especially volume one. I remember sort of the hype for you know going into seeing uh, volume two was a little bit dampened a bit maybe because of the the high expectations and as as you were saying Husey about um volume one so different we hadn't seen anything like it from tarantino and 
And obviously, you know, it's still off the back of, you know, the the Kung Fu craze from The Matrix and Crouching Tiger. It was just like, oh, yeah, and now Tarantino's doing it and he's doing it in his own style. It almost felt like a little bit of a step down when it came to volume two on on first first memories. But obviously for me, that has changed as well, which we can go into. Yeah, and for me, because, you know, I, I am the highly suggestible type, I <laughs> fell in love with the first one for exactly those reasons. We'd had Crouching Tiger, we'd had Matrix. Looking at it with my, you know, slightly mature eyes now, I'm like, this was Tarantino's response to that that wave of films. It's like, well, you've got to understand the history, the genre. That's why I think he was like, this is how, in my eyes, it should be done. Mm. And so I was all in love with the first one and I felt a little bit um, under, yeah, underawed by the second one in terms of first memories. I feel, and as a result, I've watched the first one a lot more over the years. So going back this time and watching Kill Bill Volume 2, it was so much fresher, refreshing, and interesting. And I felt like I'd given it short shrift back in the day. But something that Husey said about uh, Jackie Brown, the fact that he felt that Tarantino made that film almost for himself. I believe, and especially it's reinforced from watching this film, I think Tarantino is the true, you know, the the real, uh, what's the word? Auteur. Uh, Auteur, in that he makes all of his films, like an artist, like for himself. Yeah. And if people like them, great. I think that's why it's been a while since he's made a film. Uh, He's working on The Movie Critic right now. His final, apparently. His final film. So it's like he labeled it his fourth film. He's talking about his final film. So he's aware of what he wants to be. He wants to be remembered, but so much respect for him. And seeing this film was... Uh, I think I said to Husey in pre-chat today, it's not a homage or a copy. It's a no. celebration of this genre, this yeah. these films, these type of I films. I almost think he kind of, it, it's like he, he deliberately aims to conquer the genre in a way. It's like it's like he wanted to make the definitive Kung, Mu, Kung Fu movie and then the definitive Western movie, even though theoretically those aren't exactly don't exactly fit into those slots it's like he and it's the same with inglorious bastards and 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 all the others he wanted to make the epic world war ii movie well i mean it even goes back to you know he is so cine literate you know he you know worked in a video store and he has a encyclopedic you know memory of of films and it even goes back to you know the script from true romance where they're going to watch Sonny Chiba movies and yeah. he's going to watch all night movie marathons I mean and Clarence from you know True Mans is basically a cipher for oh, totally. Tarantino and that is it it's channeling his love of those Shaw Brothers those 70s exploitation kung fu flicks complete with the sounds the violence it is his yeah it's his love letter to that don't you think though like especially with Kill Bill given that I'm, I'm sure there must be a part of him that was a little bit hurt by the reception of Jackie Brown. There must have been, given the amount of success that the first two had. Do uh, you not think there's, there's think- a part of him that thought, you know what, this next movie needs to blow the socks off people? I don't know. I, I think Tarantino in some ways is on a different planet. I don't think he's a guy like... Yeah. I, yeah. I think he doesn't think about that, do you not think? Well, I mean, this is going to lead us into production chat because yeah. I feel like he's in his own little room when he's putting this all together and he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to do it like this. I want to do it like this. I think over the years we might have thought, 
that in if you look at his films in general that there's a certain era that he almost celebrates too much you know like but his soundtracks are amazing but it's almost like he can't put it down he can't move on that he's stuck in that era that he grew up in that he celebrates it in all his films but what i want to ask you george is that at what point did it become two films because i think we're going to get to this it could lead us into production chat because i remember when this film came out of the cinema we knew by then that it was going to be volume one and volume two but there would have been rumblings about it being at what point did you say oh my god there's too much here well we'll get into that well shall we shall we board the train to production island yeah let's go let's let's fly on a very very superimposed plane with some good jazz music across the planet <laughs> um so yeah this actually uh, harks back to um pulp fiction so whilst uh he was making pulp fiction which starred uma thurman they got chatting uh, about an idea that uh, Quinton had had and he even had the title then of Kill Bill um, about a deadly assassin who screwed over and uh, goes on a revenge mission and then Uma Thurman was like oh well I've, I've had this idea about this um, this vision of this character that's the bride you know she's she's killed when or attempted murder when she's at, you know at a wedding and then she goes on on revenge so together they they just carried on having chats throughout Pulp yeah. Fiction and I think there's Obviously, there's um, there'll be stuff on like uh, Instagram and Facebook where there's some people argue that the seeds are sown actually in the dialogue of Pulp Fiction with Fox Force Five, the, oh, yeah. the show that Uma Thurman talks about. She's like, oh, there's the Japanese one, there's the French one. Yeah. So that even though there's the shades of that, that would obviously go into the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad, also Great known name, as, by the, way. as the Divas. Um, so yeah the, the the origins of it fall into you know come from uh, pulp fiction and they fleshed out that concept and tarantino has actually admitted that um a lot of the because he was developing uh, inglorious bastards as you said Hughie, at the same time uh, a lot of the bride's characteristics were originally um characteristics of shasana the, the the female lead from inglorious bastards but her character changed as he was developing um Kill Bill. So he was working on, he sort of talked about it a bit with Uma. He then went on to develop uh, post Jackie Brown, he, Inglourious Bastards was going to be his next film. And I think there was even rumors of it, when he talked about Inglourious Bastards originally, it was going to be starring like Eddie Murphy and it was going to be, really? yeah, it was, it was going to be a very different film. However, he got uh, in touch with, with Uma again and they started talking about kill bill and he fleshed out the the script even more and they were getting ready to start filming and then uma thurman falls pregnant quinton said for a split second he was like oh do i do it with anyone else and he was like i can't i can't do it you know yeah. I've, I've developed this idea with her i mean it was her idea for the bride right? yeah and it's it's partly her idea so he basically yeah like pushed back on on Miramax who were funding it and saying, no, we're going to wait for, for Uma. And I think because of Uma Thurman falling pregnant, that also influenced the story in terms of the, the daughter subplot as well. I think that made it a bit more, it, it took a bit more prominence than it did before her, she fell pregnant. Is she pregnant in those scenes where she's pregnant? <laughs> no, the, the, this, this was all filmed post-pregnancy. See, it's a pretty believable pregnancy pillow you got under there. 
Originally, it was planned as a, a one film. And so the film shoot itself took nine months. It was filmed in five different countries. And it was only in the editing process that the film producer, Harvey Weinstein, you may have heard of him. I uh, no, who was he again? Um, also known, um, as well as, you know, being um, a convicted sex offender, he was also known in the industry as Harvey Scissorhands, and he was notorious for for uh, pushing on directors to cut their films shorter so you could get more showings out of them at the cinema. And when it came to this, he suggested to Tarantino, he's like, "Why? this is in an epic film, why don't you split it into two halves? And for Tarantino, that was music to his ears because he was like, I don't have to cut cut back my scenes that I love so much. Yeah. So it was actually... And also two releases. Well, that's it. For Miramax, obviously, they're getting twice the money. Um, for Tarantino, he's getting that that artistic, that creative freedom to just like let the films run and get everything in there. Um, but yes, originally it was planned to be one film, but it was only when they got into the editing, the post-production process, they were like, no, let's make it into two. So I think it was only announced in uh, sort of early 2003 that it was going to be parts one and two. And how do you both feel about that? Do you think it was a wise choice? It's a big question. Big question coming early. Well, okay. Um, Would you you prefer, let's say you protect the creative output of Tarantino and you say, okay, you can keep everything. Would you have preferred one long epic? Like a... I obviously before this podcast I re rewatched them both and I rewatched them because you were them supposed to thank you well yes due diligence and all that <laughs> um, and I watched it I watched them back to back so if, effectively I watched it as one long I don't know how, yeah. however long it would be four and a half hour long movie and it was an incredible experience unlike I've had watching this before and it was I mean obviously I wasn't ex- expecting a four and a half hour movie but if they could you know i think tarantino said in one interview that he thinks there would have been a way to make a three hour 10 minute movie how long's the second one two hours 20 minutes yeah something like that two hours it's, 15, it's long 20. it's long and the first one is one hour 50 yeah, hour just, just, just shy of so he two. said his original plan was do you know the the um ice garden fight scene at yeah. the end of uh, with um, Oren. volume one exactly he said he was aiming for that to end at 90 minutes and then he was going to try and fit essentially all of volume two into an hour and 10 minutes but he said he was he was just kidding himself he realized and he said obviously when Weinstein said to him listen this is ridiculous he can't cut all this stuff that you've been filming I don't want you to cut um, this he said it was obviously music to his ears I think I, I, I'm I'm happy with two volumes. I'm happy with two volumes, and also it's 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 he, he does things differently in every single episode of his career, and this is no different. This is his two volume. This is his two chapter um, uh, instalment in his career. It's an interesting one because he has actually since released it as one film he ha- annoyingly he hasn't made it commercially available but you know he has his yeah, cinema yeah. in LA the, the New Beverly and he sh- showed it at Cannes it's called The Whole Bloody Affair and it's basically it sounds like I I thought when there was this rumoured oh yeah he's got his his full cut I thought it was going to be edited completely differently because obviously 
the story itself in typical Tarantino fashion is all know, over the shop. It's, it's out of, yeah, it's, uh, it's non, non-linear narrative. And I thought, oh, well, he'll, he'll move things about if he edits it into a full film. But I was reading a review of the, the whole bloody affair, the edit that he says is the, is his cut. And it sounds pretty much the same. There's a few things that are trimmed. There's more violence in it. They cut out the star bit um that bugs me of volume two where it's the black and white uma sort of doing the narration here's oh, what yeah. you you know so it feels like a studio note yeah, of, i'm not keen on that either. oh uh here's here's what happened in part one yeah sort of type thing so that's cut and yeah i think there's a few minor cuts but his actual cut of the whole bloody affair the whole thing runs over four hours Did so it's not a trimmed down three three and a half hour yeah um things have been moved around it is pretty much as you see it Th- that's interesting though because there is a clear um stylistic difference in both volumes isn't yeah it? and quite uh, quite significant it's like it's quite know, it is what, a little bit jarring yeah, yeah well so the, obviously the first is very fast-paced very action-packed and the second one is a lot more it's a lot more cerebral basically it's, 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 a lot it's, more it's dry, in, enjoying itself yeah, yeah exactly, it's taking a step yeah. back yeah um so yeah i think for me the two volumes work because it was kind of he was kind of making two different movies in one if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely and i i think on watching it re-watching it this time i say i do enjoy the second volume a lot more but yeah there is part of me that thinks how could have this have worked you know that the fact that going into the editing has influenced how the two volumes have been made yeah. that if you know if it had never been suggested would have been edited completely differently but yeah it would have been fascinating yeah. to, to see what it would have been like if Weinstein said no this is a two and a half hour movie yeah make it yeah, because f- for me, I totally agree. Very different tones. And it's just a weird thing about the fact that, as you say, that it's the style. Mm. And am I right? I'm probably mistaken here, but I get the feeling in the first film, you have a lot of voiceover from Uma Thurman's character, but there's none of that in the second. I could be wrong. There's a little bit at the start. I say you've got this... No, jo- no, there's that thing in the car with her. But, and, then, the and then there's a little bit after, but yeah, you're right. There's definitely more There's a lot in more vo- of that she introduces, and we've got the animation in the first film oh, which is amazing I yeah. that sequence is incredible isn't it well, how, and, and how also, else are you going to deal with child pornography well, in the film? Well. so yeah apparently it was rumoured in, in his longer cut that there was going to be another animated sequence and but as to this day it, it, it hasn't no one's seen it but yeah that uh, that anime sequence again it just that's a really memorable it's part incredible of, it's an incredible sequence it's done by the guys who did I think they're called IG Studios but it's the same anime house that did Ghost in the Shell right, right. Um, so yeah obviously renowned anime studio it's quite long as well I mean it's not short I think it's about 15 minutes or it's something, so it? stylized and if you watch put in Kill Bill 1 it's all, the whole of the DVD menu well yeah. at least on the Blu-ray I've got is all the animated it's, it almost sells it like there's a yeah. picture of her and it's just all of the moving images on the menu screen are from the animated scene you're like it's almost selling it as an anime type film and yeah considering you know, it's for, you know, well, not a minor character, but a side character. It's quite a, yeah. it's quite a creative gamble to say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing this full animate sequence for one of the side characters for one of the villains. But it's, it's one of the most memorable pieces. And again, to jump back to, you know, 2003 was the same year, I think, as um, the Matrix sequels. And we had the Animatrix. So for Western audiences, the anime was huge. Mm. Getting there, getting there. It, also, it's like, I think that sequence, 
sequence did such a brilliant job because obviously knowing what we know now Lucy Liu's character at the end of volume one is so important and needs to come across as formidable a formidable opponent for Uma Thurman and so it did a brilliant job of just giving a background and actually although it's 15 minutes long it essentially encapsulated why this character is so important and so formidable that um that she then comes up against at the end of volume one it's it's the thing i love about these films like looking back now is the amount of backstory and lore and potential for like you know we never see them doing a mission together you know there's there's so much that's unsaid yeah. and left to your imagination yeah. um and obviously you know yeah uh oren gets probably the most backstory you know even over bill um totally but it's i think that's what makes it fascinating the sort of there's they're these fully rounded characters and they're these suggestions of their backgrounds that just adds to the to the enjoyment of it i suppose yeah and I think we talked before about is it Travis or Terence from True Romance? Sorry, uh, Clarence. Clarence. Clarence being a cipher for Quentin, and I feel very much that Bill becomes the cipher in the second part. That whole speech—I know we're jumping around everywhere—but that whole speech that he gives about Superman and Clark Kent, which I love. I, I being a big fan of Superman. Well, I, I was very close to actually including that clip in our Superman episode as like a little sort of Easter egg because it's a great commentary on Superman. It is. It's, it shows somebody who's got his, who loves something, who spent his life consuming it and has a different opinion. And I think it shows, you know, him being an auteur, having an eye for things and like knowing. That's why I think that I do think especially the Kung Fu aspect of Kill Bill, it was a response to Crouching Tiger to the matrix he's like okay matrix is kind of like future kung fu let me show you where it's come from and he gets sonny chiba in this gordon Liu, what's the connection so so gordon Liu is a uh, so tarantino was keen to be as authentic as possible so he filmed it at the old uh, shaw brothers studios in china he was using the sets and things like that gordon Liu is a an old kung fu star like he basically in his prime was in uh, the 36 Chambers Shaolin, which was obviously heavily sampled by Wu-Tang and the RZA, which we'll, we'll get onto on the soundtrack. Sonny Chiba, you know, yeah, is he, um, Tarantino grew up watching, I think he was in an old show um, about samurai, I think it was called. Oh, it's Shadow Warriors. Uh, Sonny Chiba was in a, a show with that, playing a character, um, different generations of a character called Hattori Hanso. So he was a, a homage like the hundredth or whatever a later generation version of the character that Sonny Chiba was famous for but Gordon Liu um, I think he'd faced off maybe in the 36 chambers against Pai Mei but he'd obviously got to that age where he had become so Pai Mei was quite a popular character in kung fu movies as the legendary warrior so it was you know gordon lou had got to that age where he could become that character so it was that was a homage in itself apparently did he pop up on the podcast at all has he been in any films we've covered just gordon lou yeah it's my familiar uh, name not Some to my knowledge no okay well uh where else do we go with this gentleman i'd say that's probably is there any other production well, chat well just, just jumping back to uh the matrix um 
the kung fu choreographer is Yu Wong Ping, who did uh, The Matrix, but obviously had his background in Hong Kong uh, martial arts movies prior to The Matrix films. Oh, it's films. the same. It's the same it's, guy it's, it's as it's The a, Matrix. It's the same choreographer. Is it but, really? But, I but Tarantino's remember, not a fan of The Matrix, I've heard. Uh, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> but I think someone was saying, I think it might have been Uma that was saying that he, uh, as as you were saying earlier, uh, Andy, that the the fact that he'd never done action before, no. um, but he'd already had a lot of the choreography planned out. And apparently someone said, you, Wong Ping said to Tarantino at one point, it's like, well, why do you need me? You know, you've got a yeah. lot of this, you've got a lot of the shots planned out already, but you look at the amount of people involved in that crazy 88 oh house God. of blue leaves yeah. fight. It's such a, a mammoth production and fight choreography you do need someone that's so experienced but yeah it's it's great to see like how involved tarantino gets and how well he can do action and he and to be fair i suppose he's done it in different sort of ways with like inglorious and stuff and obviously the stunt um not to the same extent as this though no not to like the same this extent next this. level yeah he i mean tarantino himself said that he said the biggest challenge for a director or, or basically, he's just said that the best directors do action well. And he wanted to basically prove that he could do action well, which actually yeah, surprised he, me because, you know, you, you think of some of his um, favorite directors like Sergio Leone and, you know, they, who aren't really known for, for their action. They're more known for their narrative and their their filmmaking stylistic style and what have you. So it was it was a bit of a shock when I heard that. But. Yeah, I think but, we but all he, agree he does it well. But that's it. He's got such, a, like I say, uh, an encyclopedic like knowledge of film. Even the like the the, the cheap B movies that no one's really seen that have like some really innovative oh, yeah. and interesting action. He's like, I want a little bit of that. I want a little bit of that. And he's he he's, it's just the visuals of like, whilst he hasn't done it, he's like, I've seen it and I know what I want. It's like it's it's in his head, isn't it? And it's yeah. just trying to translate it from his head to the screen which I imagine um, is quite hard for the people he's working with. Yeah, because for me, one of the reasons the first film is the one that I own and I've watched the most is that that whole scene in the in that house, the fact that he does so many interesting things, you've got the black and white, you've got the amazing, then she, she's got two swords and she's chopping all the limbs off and at the end of it, they're all just like writhing on the floor. And it's and then there's the bit when they she goes upstairs and it changes to the silhouettes. Yeah. And then we go into the garden. For me, it's like there's so much to unpack in about forty minutes of screen oh, time yeah. that there's all the other dialogue, which he does so well. And I feel like the second film is so much more dialogue driven. But because I'd obsessed so much over Kill Bill One, when I got around to watching Kill Bill Two this time, I I really enjoyed the dialogue. I really enjoyed where it was going. And you're just drinking it in. You know, it's like, yes, people don't necessarily talk like that in real life, but it's a Tarantino. People talk like that in a Tarantino film. And by this stage, we'd become accustomed to that. Do you know, do you know where that black and white thing came from, by the way? Um, It was, it was, he was saying he was a huge fan of some Kung Fu film, which was just basically so violent that at one stage, there was so much blood that the basically the censors made it. Yeah, they did. I think the, it was an American thing. That oh, they, it was an American they, thing, they, yeah. They, they, oh, the oh, Japanese yeah, the American stuff. version of yeah. it. It had to be shown as black and white because it was so bloody. So he's like, yeah, wow. I'm going to I'm gonna nick it. I'm going to go for that. Yeah, for this scene go where I want loads of... Exactly. This is how I get past the censors. Yeah. I like it, I like it. And again, in the, the full bloody affair cut, 
he uh, that's that's all in full color in full of color yeah, yeah i can imagine yeah but oh, the whole thing the yeah. whole film yeah the, the whole thing so the um the, the that whole bit that shot of uma thurman you know blinking and then going back into color that's taken out and they just yeah they just go full on do we want to pause whilst the car now goes off Okay, well, yeah, I mean, do, what, what do you want to talk about next? Should we talk about, I mean, I've just mentioned one of my highlights being, and that is kind of George and I've talked about this a few times on the podcast, and I'm sure you can relate, Andy, that whether it's post-pub or lazy afternoon, you want to stick something on. There's so many times this is what I've put, I've put on Kill Bill and I've gone to this scene with, you know, the the sword, the sword play with the crazy 88 and the follow-up fight with, for me, it's one of my favorite bits of this, of this song. What do you, what else do you think? What else do you like from this? Uh, I mean, I, I love how you have the the craziness of the, the crazy eighty eight fight, but then it slows down and it's really slick and stylized for the the face off with Oren. It's very slow. It's very methodical. You have the the water fountain yeah. thing oh, flicking, yeah. and I think that's a might be a homage to. I think it's Kurosawa. It might be Seven Samurai or something. But yeah, it, I just love it how it really slows it down. And the and music. It is, yeah, the, I mean... Incredible, yeah. isn't it? Bow, bow. <laughs> well, that's it. You've got... So, um, yeah, the RZA was was brought on board. I think just him and Tarantino started off a friendship because of their love of old kung fu movies. Yeah. And obviously that's driven a lot of uh, Wu-Tang stuff is the samples and stuff that they use, the sound effects. And I think it just grew organically out of that. Like Quentin was like, oh, I'm working on this film. Would you want to be involved? And like, Rizzo was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it was, uh, I think originally was like just sourcing sound effects and clips. He was like, well, actually I could do a little bit of music here and a little bit of that. And yeah, the, the, I say, I have such fond memories of listening to the soundtrack on repeat. And some of the tracks are just like the ax being thrown and obviously the, the, you know, the warning siren sound, yeah, which I think is taken from some American show, but then was reappropriated and used in like the show. Yeah. yeah. The, I think, yeah, it might be the equalizer dun, 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 or, yeah. or yeah. Ironside. Dun, dun, I think it is. Yeah. Um, but the, these Japanese, this was loose copyright. They were borrowing so many sound effects from Western stuff and putting it in their films. So it's kind of like a, a hodgepodge, you know, a mixing pot of like, Oh, well that's from the West, but it's been used in samurai movies. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, there's a, I, I think I do have a lot more love for the second one because of the action, because it's so dialed up. Um, I love the little things like the model airplane and the, the city of Tokyo is, you know, it's clearly a set again. It's that sort of yeah. heightened reality. Apparently that was um, a set that had been used for a recent Godzilla film, that set of Tokyo. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. just, I love that sort of like, no, I wanted to try and honor it. The, those old films, that exploitation, it needs to look a bit ropey. And it's something they do in the second one where she's doing her training and it's clearly some of it's done against a back projection. Yeah. Because again, it's like, I want to make it as, as, as loyal to those old films that and I grew up with. Samurai sword, carry-on luggage, of course. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, I did notice it's a that great sight gag, isn't it? It's like, such yeah. a sight gag, isn't yeah. it? Oh, it's it's brilliant. You know, it's uh, it's it's the little things like that is uh, is awesome. But yeah, I, sp- I suppose when it comes to the the second one, it is more about the performances, and I, I think obviously we have to give Uma Thurman her due. She is so good in this. I think this is obviously. 
obviously a career high for her. She's oh, yeah. giving it her all. She's obviously gone through grueling months of training. Super trained, super hot, super well acted, super dialogue. Just everything about her is just like yeah. badass. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I've got down my notes. She's just such a badass. Also, um, about her character... If you look at all of Tarantino's movies, have you ever rooted for anyone as much as you've rooted for her? No, she's. I good. haven't. No, I mean, no. It's, it's a good point. Like you know, she's she's uh, a lot of Tarantino's characters can be described as you know being flawed or yeah. unlikable, but also and, disposable in most yeah. of yeah. the films. Most so, characters don't get that sort of as Hughie's saying. You, they don't. They're normally everyone could die at any moment exactly. in, a, in a horrible horrible way from Pulp Fiction at least actually know? that's that's an interesting point I was reading about the uh, the full cut the, the whole bloody affair is that it one of the th- key things he cuts out is the reveal at the end of volume one that her daughter's still alive yeah so right. it's only when you're watching it you're feeling that shock and surprise mm. that the character does that oh my god everything she's been fighting in revenge for you know would she still do it if she knew her daughter was alive and there's that that shock is shared and it makes it more of an emotional journey mm. Even though she doesn't have that emotion yet, you have it for her. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think in terms of volume two, it's it's for me, it's the performances. And uh, I was saying to you, Charlie, on text about David Carradine. It's such he's got such an amazing voice. It's so silky. Obviously, you you don't see him in volume one, but then you see him from the off in in volume two, yeah. and he's so charismatic. And it just shows how Tarantino was a man that gave you know. John Travolta a, a second career he's great at you know and, and Daryl Hannah in this where well, has she d- d- been? well Daryl Hannah you know David Carradine uh, Robert Forster and Jackie yeah, Brown yeah, yeah. he's gr- and Pam Greer you know Pam yeah, Greer Pam was Greer yeah you know Pamela Greer you know he's great at, I mean, again it goes back to his film knowledge of just picking out these random character actors and getting such a good performance out of them and I, I said to you Charlie's like whatever you know why didn't David Carradine do more and and sadly he he passed away a few years later but yeah it's, it's a it's such a mesmeric charming performance and it really whilst it is you know that dialogue that you know that is unrealistic nobody talks like that it's so captivating when it's delivered in 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 such a way like that well we can talk about that end scene in a bit but the scene just bef- the scene just before that because you don't get it i didn't work it out until the end when the credits come up and you see the actors names mm-hmm. that the guy who plays the sheriff who discovers the bride michael parks I remember you guy, telling me about the this. The guy yeah. with the yeah. Spanish accent yeah, exactly. at the end. And that uh, yeah. performance, I just the, the love that scene, the yeah. pimp, because the way he talks to her, the fact he's got his... Oh, no, he, I just... I imagine the conversation that Tarantino and him had. So would he be smoking a cigar or a yeah. cigarette? I think he'd be smoking a cigarette in a holder. You know, yeah. I feel like it's there's so much thought gone he's into so that. so good in that as well. And but he, I th- it's, it's hard to be, you know... Cocksucker ain't dead. Tall drinking cocksucker ain't dead. But in fact, he does both so well. Oh, no, I, he does, yeah. No, so I, no, I just wanted to say that what was interesting, I'm not sure you would get away with that in 2023. It's like he putting on a Spanish accent, but he does it so oh, well. Brilliant. You know the story about this, because I remember you telling me it's... Uh, so it was in a read-through, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, it, uh, I, why don't you tell it? It's, so uh, it, they were doing the script read-through, and the, originally he'd cast 
somebody else for the the role of Esteban. I'm assuming someone Mexican or Hispanic, but he wasn't available to do the read through. So he said to Michael Parks, who was obviously cast as the sheriff, which is um, a recurring role. He plays the same role in From Dust Till Dawn as a sheriff. Right. So there's shared universe there. Um, But doing the read through, Tarantino's like, oh, well, Michael, can you just pick up this role of Esteban? And you just saw, like, he just went with it and smashed it. And, like, Tarantino's like, I'm going to have to pay off the other actor and just get rid of him. And that's but what he did. such a good... I just... Uh, this scene was just, I think, one of the highlights of... Because I knew that the scene with Bill was coming. You know, yeah. the speech yeah. was coming. And I'd totally forgotten about this and just the the sleazy... It was the, a shimmering menace, wasn't yeah, it? And, and the, the, the but, flickering but, eyes. But again, he's also really charming as yeah, well. It's, it's, it's such like, a performance. If you would have been with me, the yeah, way he no, talks yeah. to him with him, the way he's like, you would have been my girl. That would have really... You were really something. You yeah, know, it's like... Yeah. I don't know. It just kind of celebrates the depravity of his... Of what he is. Yeah. But in such a brilliant mm-hmm. way. And that... Is an art, and then of course we get to the meeting with Bill. But well, we we have skipped past. We oh. did mention a Daryl Hannah. I mean, Daryl Hannah is she's devouring Tarantino's dialogue, like the bit where she's like yeah. reading, reading out. out I've uh, looked it up on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, and and she's written it all out in a little notebook. But yeah, she's devouring it, and I love the juxtaposition of from you know you think of the vast space of the the fight against the crazy 88 in that massive bar to the two of them duking it out in this tiny shitty little trailer and yeah. they're throwing each other through walls they, they, there's so much space they can't get the swords open it's so well done i i forgot how good that fight is between the two of them. and and just before that it's like the, the i i like the michael madsen character as well i mean it, it's, that's it's, a really interesting character it is yeah and the failed what, the failed what, yeah well, as, as uh, I was watching it with my wife, and she she picked up. She's like, "Well, why why is he broke? Why is he not? Why, where you know they they talked about the fact that they were making all this money from doing these killings, you know, being assassins." It's like. Well, why is he down on his luck and working in a strip bar? They never explain it. it but never it explains it. They, what, you kind of presume that, and they're portraying him as this kind of drunk gambling. You know, you do feel sorry for addicted. him. You kind of do, yeah. but also in this in this movie, he delivers like one of my favourite kind of small monologues where, um, and it was brilliantly done by Tarantino, where he was just like that woman. Uh, deserves her oh, revenge. Oh, they, they use it several times. Oh. And we and we deserve, deserve to, die. to die. It is, but then again, so does she. Yeah. So we'll just see, won't we? Is it, and it was just brilliantly done. Is it that it's Tarantino and it's Madsen, or is it just me? But that is just so Reservoir Dogs. It's him speaking with Tarantino dialogue, and I'm just transported back to Reservoir Dogs. Well, I, again, I think there was a little bit of hype, the fact that the, that he'd brought, you know, Michael Madsen is, you know, the, the standout performance from Reservoir Dogs. And I think there was a little bit of hype of they're working together again and he's back. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's, a, yeah, it's a, like, I know we were shutting off, off mic and you're saying it's, it's a bit, the whole strip club thing is a bit of a detour, but it's still an interesting detour for me. I, I, it's yeah. essential for his backstory. I think the only, I only raised it when, when you're talking about, Hey, could this have been a shorter film? What would you cut? I argue that maybe you could make him more, you could still make him sympathetic without that, whole thing with the stripper joint but it does add to his creating sympathy for him uh because there's also the bit in his trailer there's the burial 
Uh, There's him making uh, the worst yeah. looking margarita. It is in, in, yeah, yeah, his all, drinks. All over the shop. I'm like, why are you spilling it, man? <laughs> but also, uh, Daryl so sloppy. Daryl Hannah takes it in a stride. Like, well, obviously, I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah. But oh, the snake is. That, that's such a Pulp Fiction-y scene. That whole thing with the money and the snake and the whole it dialogue. But uh, I, I love it how there is that added tension of where's the snake like th- f- as soon as the snake's loose it's sort of like where is it I, I, that was constantly on my mind re-watching it I was like especially kind of in the fight with Uma Thurman and um, Daryl Hannah uh, I was like where the fuck's the snake and, and then and then <laughs> right at the end as she walks past it kind of hisses at her doesn't it yeah but the, the interesting thing that I only noticed this time around and I don't know if you noticed but when the credits come up it brings up the the Viper squad and it does a slash through their names but when it gets to Daryl Hannah it does a question mark so it's saying she might she might still be alive well Obviously. she left her alive yeah she's <laughs> blind. blind no no but left her alive in in the trailer with the snake yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I always assumed on I mean, an, initial watching that she, 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 the snake, which she was going to get it, like, you know, she's thrashing about, like, that's so, it's so, like, and everybody morbid. laughs. Yeah. Everybody laughs. It's, it's, it's the oh, same it's as this, that scene from the first one when they're all, they've all had their, their limbs ankles and limbs before. chopped off. Yeah. And we're, you kind of like, it's, it's done so well by Tarantino to do something like that and still make you sort of have a little giggle. Yeah. So following on from that, uh, amazing scene where they've clearly done tons of training to have that fight in a very confined space so fair play to both uh, Uma and Daryl for that but we then get to uh, and we've obviously talked about uh, sorry is it Michael Parks yep his, Parks. his brilliant scene we finally get to meet Bill so this is quite a long scene I didn't it's remember long, it being longer than I remember yeah. way longer yeah. I mean I, I scroll back and it's like 35 minutes I mean he's, he's making sandwiches Oh. She's sitting down watching. She watches a film. By the way, making sandwiches <laughs> badly, which pisses me off. It's an American thing. I, I, did you not see this thing on Instagram recently? Apparently, Americans don't butter their sandwiches. Well, they, well yeah. Also, it's like, even if you don't butter it, at least put mayo on both sides of the sandwich. Yeah. But they did give us PBJs. They did give us peanut butter jelly time. I wasn't even listening to the dialogue. I was just fuming at his sandwich making. Yeah. Do we? Debacle. Is it just us, us Europeans? We do take things to another level we when take it comes to and our also sandwiches. No, sandwiches. Well, they there was no crunch in the sandwich. No crunch. No crunch. You need texture. It's all you about do. texture. Anyway, um, you can listen more on our sandwich <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the Earl of Sandwich <laughs> podcast. Between, will be between the slices. That's another yeah, podcast yeah. altogether. Between two two slices. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So um, she's coming in like James Bond. Coming in weapons hot and we get to finally meet the estranged daughter and BB. And like, and it's like people don't talk like that in real life. Kids definitely don't. This is a, they picked a very strange, it's a very strange delivery from this child. She's able to, there's no, the reaction of the child is what I'm trying to get to is not what you would have expected. Is that because she's been brought up by a psychopath? Yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I just... What like, are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, I mean, this isn't very politically correct, but this is not why we're here, but I just think she's a terrible young actress. And um, I just, I, I, it just, she annoyed me. Everything, it just kind of brought me out of the moment every time she spoke. Um, and I, I just thought when I watched the whole thing up until that moment, I was thinking, oh, my God, th- this is this is the perfect film. Basically, it's everything up to now is, is kind of been perfect in the Tarantino sense. And it got to that moment 
And I just found myself getting a little bit annoyed at a few things at this stage of the film. And so, for, for example, the, the, there was the, it took about 10 minutes or 15 minutes before her and Bill could actually sit down and have a proper the confrontational yeah. chat. And, and uh, you know, five minutes of that was them just in bed watching Shogun Assassin or something and her falling asleep. And I was yeah, just, I suppose it's, it's... I just it's, thought it was a little self-indulgent. Now, listen, we all know this is what Tarantino does. He is very self And he would get a lot more self-indulgent in later films. Indeed. Yeah. But um, that I'm just saying exactly what I was feeling when I watched it. I was a little bit annoyed by the whole thing. I thought the... Um, yeah, the way that the way the kid was speaking was was just so unnatural. Like, have you been a bad daddy? He's like, yeah, I've been. And, but he was great. It's like, I've been a real bad daddy. Yeah, no, it's, it was just it just felt odd and forced to me. I think forced is the word that sticks out mm. to me. Is that we're leading up to that brilliant monologue, which we'll cover, give it the what it's due. But there are bits up until that point where it. F- feels like he's taking a lot that we're we're wiping our shoes and taking our shoes off before you know it takes a long time to get to the point but it's it's an interesting ending because i don't know how you guys felt that i was expecting something you know especially based on how epic the end of volume one is i was expecting a much grander fight yeah and it is very dialogue driven it's very much you know the whole bit with the truth serum and and then they're at the table and it before you know it in a flash it, it's all happened and it's I suppose it's it's, it's similar to the, the fight with uh, is it Veronica you know where mm. Vifa's you know the, the first fight in, in volume one where it's like oh, yeah. come on bitch let's go down to the baseball uh, field and, mm. and dress up in, in black and we'll have a knife fight and you're mm. like oh that sounds I, I shoot it that. shoot it <laughs> yeah and, and he's the same he's like why don't you and I have a fight there's a lovely beach for yeah. a fight we can fight in the moonlight or even better at sun, sunrise you're like yeah that sounds awesome yeah. but it's teasing you and then it like pulls a rug is like actually no we're going to do something yeah. else we're going to do the the five point palm the, the five palm point yeah heart exploding yeah. technique yeah which is obviously uh, what's classic. it called George when there's uh, somebody oh it's Chekhov's gun Chekhov's gun it's Chekhov's mentioned. exploding palm trick <laughs> it's mentioned early on but yeah I that's what stuck with me from seeing this film because obviously we all saw this at cinema a lot of expectation and you're like wow the most impressive one of the most impressive moves in this film is what she's able to do in a chair yeah yeah she does a full 180 spin (laughs) from a seated position off back that's some serious um chair quando i don't know what we'll call it but it's like it's impressive but yeah it's over before it starts we're all expecting it it's the trick it's the the maestro it's it's Tar- tarantino i'm going to lead you up and then i'm going to pull the rug from under you it's yeah. um yeah it's subver- subverting expectation the thing which, about- he, which again he would do you know go on to do that with stuff like you know some of my favorite scenes in in glorious bastards oh, is that that, that, that yeah, basement but, bar but, is one of my favorite I, scenes I, of any film oh yeah. I, and i totally agree yeah. i think the difference there though is that scene was satisfying that satisfied me yeah it is, whereas this audience. is a little bit this did not satisfy me if anything it annoyed me a little bit and the one thing you can say about tarantino is he always delivers that satisfying yeah um feeling whereas i think at the end of this movie it didn't quite do that you wanted the the sword fight on the beach and it's not how i remembered it actually yeah. it's only when i rewatched it i thought oh 
This is long. Well, yeah. Because yeah, what I was imagining, because I was thinking, I had the same thought as you, and I don't know if you're on the same page as us, George, but it was like, how else could he have ended the film? And I was like, when she comes through that door, would it have been him standing in the garden, sword out, yeah. saying... Sorry? And then he does the whole monologue. No, not that sword. <laughs> <laughs> I know they were close. It's a different movie. Um, that he says, let's... D- but before we get into this fight, I've got some questions I want to ask you. I'm willing to fight you and I'll probably lose my life, but I have to know this. Yeah. No need for truth serum. Yeah. And that they, they're they pacing each other and it's all done beautifully. And it's like, she's in the other room watching Shogun Assassins. Yeah. With Sean Connery. Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he just cre- he creeps in, doesn't announce himself. We are in Edinburgh, um, and he'd be like, "Whoever wins this fight gets to spend the rest of a life with it," sort of thing. And then I'm like, "Okay." And then they have the chat, and then they and it could have been all over. But the whole thing that she goes away, she watches a film, he makes sandwiches. It's very Tarantino, but as you say, it's I'm not as satisfied by yeah. it as I am with the first. But yeah, are we picking holes too much? He doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. Tarantino doesn't care. Is there anything else we want to cover before I move on to some fun controversy? I think we get to the controversy. Fun, fun controversy. Apparently, there's there's quite a bit of controversy around this film outside of the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, but it is linked to that. Apparently, near the end of filming, Uma Thurman was really badly injured in a car crash. So there was a scene that Tarantino forced her to... Uh, to drive in this driving scene she so she's driving to to Bill's house which apparently doesn't actually feature in the film funny that uh, but the crew flagged it to um, Uma Thurman that this car had been modified and they weren't overly sure of how safe it was Tarantino assured her that the car was safe the road was safe and he had to do it with her and not a stunt woman because he wanted to have her like hair flowing and the, the camera on her and stuff she basically lost control of of the car and drove it into a tree and damaged uh, suffered concussion and damage to her knees when she asked for the footage Miramax and and the Weinsteins basically said they would only release the footage if they were um, released of any accusations. Sign this this disclaimer. Yeah, basically, we'll give you the footage, but you can't sue us. um, Have you seen the footage? No, I haven't. I have. Have you? It's brutal. It is brutal. And as soon as it happens, you kind of, you see Tarantino sprint in. And, well, everyone's sprinting in. It is brutal. So they held the footage from her for for 15 years and so in this time she um and her and tarantino fell out and so they had to go through a lot of the press tour where they weren't speaking each to each other which is really interesting and obviously it's interesting that she would not go on to feature in any of tarantino's films following that they have since patched things up but but it was only uh i think in 2018 when uh, Uma Thurman went to the police with um, accusations of basically she had been um, she's come out and said she's been raped by Harvey Weinstein in I think it was um, in the 90s uh, 94 um, but only when she was testifying against Harvey Weinstein did they release the footage so it's 15 years later and she needed that for her insurance and things like that and I think following that she has patched things up with, with Tarantino but yeah, it sounds like, you know, and, you know, thankfully she's continued to, to work and she's had a career, you know, moderately successful career. I'd argue that she deserves a bigger career off, off the back of this and this mm-hmm. performance. But yeah, she's still getting work. She's still doing well. She's, you know, still getting acclaim. Um, but yeah, it does 
it does leave a bit of a, a bitter taste, you know, the sort of the, the behind the scenes. Yeah, because I think it occurs to everybody who watches this film is like, wow, star power, lead role. She can do everything. She can deliver. She can act. She can kick ass. Um, and something to be said about 2003, Tarantino, all of the biggest leads in this film are, in the first film at least, are women. Mm-hmm. And they are breaking the rock. I forget now. You know the test I'm talking about. The Breck is it the, the Breckdale? Beckdale. The Beckdale test, where two women have a conversation that's not about men uh, during a film. And this film, especially the first one, is full of them. And the second one with Daryl Hannah. And- well, that's it. That's the thing about this film. It's all about female empowerment. But then it's produced by Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. So, but no, Tarantino yeah. was. I think that was Tarantino's idea. Yeah. So yeah, uh, is there is there much is is there going to be is there some coulda woulda shouldas? Oh yeah, there, there's quite a bit okay. of coulda woulda shoulda. So coulda woulda shoulda is where George enlightens us into the actors or directors that were considered for this for these movies, I should say, but didn't get selected. This is one of my favorite parts of the let's show. Let's let them in. Let's let in Jeff and Celine. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Uh, so there's a there's a few uh, ones on this. Probably the most famously is that Tarantino apparently originally, when he was writing the original script, had none other than Warren Beatty uh, in in mind for the role of Bill. Interesting. But he said as the as he developed the character, realized that it needed more screen time and martial arts training, and he then actually rewrote it for David Carradine. But yeah, he, he did actually have conversations with Warren Beatty about it and he was keen to work with him. And he said initially it was, um, Bill was going to be a bit like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. He was only going to be turn up at that, the, yeah. the climax. You weren't going to see him at all through the film. But as he started writing the script, there he started, you know, you'd see him off camera and things like that. And it was a lot more, yeah. And then he realized he had to do martial arts training and it was a much bigger deal than Warren Beatty was comfortable with and um, Tarantino's like I still still want to work with him and this was obviously you know back in the noughties and he still hasn't worked but Beatty no, hasn't, uh, no, he you hasn't know. Yeah. It feels like he would have been ripe for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but yeah. maybe he will turn up in, uh, in the film critic in Tarantino's last I'm doing air quotes film Apparently also uh, none other than Bruce Willis was considered for the role of Bill but yeah, obviously Bruce didn't get it. I think I say I, I think David Carradine is, is brilliant in this. Perfect. Do you guys he have you perfect. have you watched any of the show that he was in, Kung Fu? I haven't. It I'm looked, starting to think should I go back and watch it? I've well, watched clips. I've watched yeah. clips just because of this, obviously, and just yeah. like ones I found on YouTube, but I've never actually properly watched it. I feel it. like that was something that was on TV in the States that passed us by. Yeah, I think, I it, think was, it was like a cult. It never. Sure, I don't think it really it, yeah. made it over it's here. It's it on Sky. Bravo. Remember Bravo? Bravo? Yeah. Remember Bravo. Bravo? Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's the, back to the nineties, <laughs> um, and I don't have any uh, much details on this, but apparently Michelle Yeoh uh, met with Tarantino for a role in the film, but it doesn't say what role well, it was. I whether can it was which one? Whether it was Oren, but apparently. Um, yeah, it, it might it might have been, but um, Tarantino initially always uh, had the role of O-Ren was going to be fully Japanese, but it was only bizarrely when seeing Lucy Liu in the the hit movie. Don't say Charlie's Angels. 
no shanghai noon oh. when he saw it in shanghai noon he was like this she's really good in uh, in that um, and he rewrote it to reflect her heritage so she's half japanese half um, american and 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 japanese so yeah he rewrote it for lucy Liu. um so yes that was uh, p- part of the casting there i think lucy Liu nails it by the way i thought she was brilliant in this yeah she's brilliant and she's she feels like she's dropped off the radar totally. I was days. Gonna, that was going to be my point is mm. why haven't we seen her more was it because of Charlie's Angels but she's in that film uh, Lucky Number 11 oh, yeah but yeah. Charlie that was like noughties no but I'm saying that yeah. she's done that and it was in that film that I realised you know that she has a certain presence in films and and seeing her in this she's a big role in this should have been in more should have done well, more well I mean Daryl Hannah's brilliant in this and I don't feel yeah. like she went on like obviously she was you know kind of in obscurity and doing small roles but it yeah. feels like she should have done more if, uh, but again I think that is she looks fantastic in this she, way. she does it, um, but I think that is the Tarantino magic he gets the best out of out of every actor he works with it's interesting and I've just thought of a point where when you're talking about that if you look at kind of um, the, the careers that he's reinvigorated He's done none more successfully than John Travolta, is he? I mean, yeah. all the, all the uh, well, Samuel Jackson. Samuel well, Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Did Samuel Sorry. Jackson yeah. ever stop making films, though? Well, did he, though? No, did he need reinvigoration? We haven't even well, talked about. Did. I think because he he's in this. Yeah, we, we haven't even talked about his one-line yeah. cameo in yeah. this. It's not just one line. Yeah, well, he says it's, a few things. Well, couple, uh, it's, it's a I, scene. I wonder, did he actually get paid, or did he just turn up as a favour? Because it's such a minimal. It's 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 Blink probably even miss it. it's, it's probably even less so than his role in True Romance. In True Romance, I think he goes to the fridge and then gets blown away. Whereas in this, he's like he plays the piano. He's in a few shots. Uh, I don't think he made his. I think it's like. Oh, well, I no. think I think Tarantino, without a doubt, made catapulted made, Samuel yeah. Jackson to no, another so level. Did, did Sam Jackson ever stop making films? As no, <laughs> but neither did Travolta. He was just making look who's talking to. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And even lesser films than that. And well, Travolta yes. is mad as a brush. So sorry, mad <laughs> as a box of frogs. Pick 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 one. Uh, okay. Um, do we cover suspicious spin-offs? It's a Tarantino film. Well, I think this is a closed book. So there, well, he, you know, he talks about that. He's always doing uh, ten films, but there was talk of Kill Bill three for a long time, and he was even, I think, as as early. But Bill's there, George. As, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very good, very good, very good. But there was there was talk of doing a sort of a legacy sequel of you pick things up twenty years later, and even talking about having. Uh, Maya Hawke who's Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter you know she was in Stranger Things Yeah, um, having her playing up a, a grown up version of BB and having you know violence being revisited to her and the bride uh, he was like yeah that's a really interesting idea and obviously you've got um uh, Veronica's little daughter Nikki that you know yeah. that's set up for that well you, you yeah. come looking for me and I think he was entertaining it a few years ago but then he's shut it down like no the, the film critic's going to be my last film so question sorry it's been on my mind and it always is why is her name blocked out in the first film I think just to just create a bit, a bit of mystery, mystery? Okay. stylistically okay. Yeah. I imagine next question yeah. no okay no that just yeah that that always occurs to me when I watch this film okay so final thoughts on these two films uh, I'm going to put this over to our guest Andy what do you what do you want to what do you think needs to be said or what do you feel like you want to say after watching these going back to these films well I, I, I just kind of reiterate what I said re-watching it was a, a complete pleasure and 
I, for the first time, I re I watched them back to back, and up until the scene where he introduces um, the, the daughter, daughter I, I was thinking to myself, "Oh my God, this this might be Tarantino's best." And then, for me, the ending didn't quite land. Uh, land exactly. That's the word. Didn't quite land. Although it's clearly an epic, amazing movie um, or movies I feel as though if they got the ending right it's kind of that you know coulda woulda shoulda type of thing yeah um, I just I, I left a little bit deflated at the end which was a real shame um, but there's no doubt about it I mean um, it's this is this is a master at work true that George I was saying to to Andy before um, we recorded, I, I, I can't remember the last time I watched these films. Amusingly, I was telling him I have it in my ultimate Tarantino box set, which goes up to Kill Bill, and then that's it. Um, <laughs> How uh, Not so ultimate, yeah, one might say. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I probably haven't watched them for about a, a good five, five, ten years. I still love the, the first one as, as much as I used to. Um, I think, if anything, I have uh, more of a fondness for the second one. And I think it is probably because I've seen more Sergio Leone films and, and appreciate that more sort of Western aesthetic that mm. Tarantino is going for. And I can appreciate the change in pace. But yeah, it's, it's still... I still really enjoy them. I don't think they're... I think they're still probably mid-table Tarantino for I'd me. I'd say that. Yeah. But I was, you know, as I was saying to you, uh, Andy, I, I, I haven't seen Jackie Brown in ages, so I think that's going to be my next Tarantino revisit because that's something, I, it's probably the one I've, of his I've seen the least. Yeah, and I think for me, yeah, uh, almost a mirror of what Andy's saying in that I ate up the first one, loved the action, was not, was not, didn't really get the second one, if I'm totally honest. And as a result, haven't watched it as much. So going back and watching them both this time, first one was very familiar to me second one was so refreshing and I, I gobbled it up really really drank it in mm. and respect it so much more yeah. which I think the question I want to ask both of you is what is uh, Tarantino's what's your favourite Tarantino film at this point in time being 2023 hmm. I mean what's his best work would you say what's him at the top of his game shall we say I think nostalgia has a big uh, influence on my choice I mean I do I've seen pro Pulp Fiction the most and I have I think that's the most sort of definitive of like Tarantino's style his like his, his writing and his, his you know his plotting and his characters and stuff uh, but saying that I do really enjoy though it is quite uneven because of its nature I do really enjoy Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. And I think I know the answer to this question being Jackie Brown. Well, no, actually, that's my second favourite. Okay. Um, for me, it's an absolute no-brainer, Inglorious Bastards. I think it's his masterpiece. I, I'm, I'm kind of on the same page as you because I probably haven't watched Jackie Brown as much. I've had a lot of people whose opinions I respect say that that's their favourite Jackie Brown. Um for me, I think we'd all agree. It's like that, what people say or scientists say about your favorite song is your favorite song because of where you were at when you first heard yeah. it. And I think that's what Pulp Fiction is to us. Like yeah. where we were at when Pulp Fiction came out and the fact we knew nothing about Tarantino apart from Reservoir Dogs being banned and being super gory is that where we were all at 
when Pulp Fiction yeah. came out, but I'm kind of of the same milk of the, the most Tarantino where he's in his form for me is in Glorious Bastards because there's so much we he's got all the technology there he's got the actors he's doing what he did with Travolta with Christoph what he's discovering yeah. mm. uh, with Christoph Waltz and he's giving us those scenes in that film so we will get to that I'm sure yeah. Retro Ramble but sure no, I just wanted to throw that out there when you mm. said this is mid-table Tarantino yeah. and you were saying it's almost it has the makings of being the best film at least volume 2 does uh, it's interesting that in, in the end it's, it's actually not yeah and a very very quick question I'm sure we all agree on this what's his worst film Death Proof, Death Proof. thank god because <laughs> so, I, I, so, so self-indulgent so, that film such, I mean I, I feel guilty saying that because our lovely Kurt Russell is in it but uh, yeah, yeah that, that film really, so self-indulgent yeah, yeah. I, I, I revisited that probably most recently before these films and I'm like yeah it, it's not any better it's still like, it's got some great car stunts amazing soundtrack but that's it. It's really self-indulgent with really unlikable people. And, yeah. and so much so that he doesn't even count it as one of his movies. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't even count, count it in, in, the, in, the, the in, the, in the 10. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, brilliant. Uh, Andy, anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Uh, oh, don't, don't you worry about that. Just listen. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on here again, fellas. Um, Glad to have you on. Always uh, a pleasure. Uh, absolutely. I'm an absolute podcast fiend and this is without doubt one of my favorites and I'm also a patron member and you can get, get some really cool stuff on there. So I'd urge uh, you to sign up for that as well. You get lots of extra stuff. So And more extras to come. But yeah, th- thanks, for, thanks for supporting us. Thanks for coming on, being our guest today on two very important films to us and uh, and I know they're important films to you too absolutely cheers guys and Top Boy is is streaming on Netflix right now yeah I think that's with, the next uh, recent ramble isn't it yeah, with, with, with your your leading role it is yes, yes. Yeah. you can catch me on Top Boy season 3 nice, nice. wonderful <laughs> excellent well uh, Andy thank you for coming on for, for this episode I've been Charlie McGee I've been George McGee and we'll see you next time bye 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 bye